Please join me with the prayer of illumination. God of our days and times, come close to us in this hour. Calm our hearts and minds, restore our spirits, and give us peace. Lord, allay our fears, bolster our courage and our compassion, increase our capacity for love. In this season, we have been made uncomfortable. Our movements have been curtailed. We are inundated with often conflicting information. Our minds are racing, but we cling to your promise to be with us always. We are your creation and our hearts can safely trust in you. During our time of social isolation, help us to get closer to you. Let compassion rise in us and send us an extra anointing of your love. Allow us to hear your voice and contemplate your word amid the cacophony of voices around us and restore our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson today is from Romans chapter 10, verses 5 to 15. Salvation is for all. Let us hear the word. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and believes in your heart that God raises, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth, and so is saved. The scripture says no one who believes in him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In our Old Testament reading this morning, we continue through the beautiful and deep and rich stories from the book of Genesis. Genesis. 
We pick up in the 37th chapter, read the first four verses, and then jump to verses 12 through 28. So listen now for the eternal word of God to the church. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. He answered, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron. He came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. The man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. The man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him. And throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, with their camels carrying gum, balm, and resin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. This week and next, we will be looking at the story of Joseph, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, from two sides. Today, as we hear the tragic beginning of Joseph's story, we will view his experience from the underside. While theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer was imprisoned by the Nazis in World War II, he wrote frequent letters to his friends and his family. In one of them, he observed a lesson that the world seemed to be learning in the grips of war and loss. We have for once learned, he wrote, to see the great events of world history from below, from the perspective of the outcast, the suspects, the maltreated, the powerless, the reviled, in short, from the perspective of those who suffer. And adopting this perspective for today's sermon, we will view Joseph's experience through the lens of his human suffering and hopefully thereby link his life then to our life today. The Genesis narrative makes it clear that Joseph was a very gifted human being. He was deeply loved by his parents and a large family of 13 children. Jacob, now known as Israel, quote, loved Joseph more than any other of his children. And he showed his love by giving his son a long robe with sleeves, which Christian history has consistently interpreted as meaning essentially a particularly awesome and striking coat. The Hebrew does not mince words when describing the way the rest of the children felt about this, saying simply, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. While Joseph was blessed with many gifts, tact and diplomacy were not among them. When he dreamt that he and his brothers were harvesting wheat and the sheave he was tending rose up and stood upright while the sheaves of all his brothers gathered around it and bowed down, Joseph failed to recognize how his brothers might resent the message of that dream. Again, the story gets straight to the point saying they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. It also seems Joseph was a slow learner because he did the same thing a second time. His next dream was of the heavens where the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to him. And when he shared it with the family, this time his father, who clearly saw himself as the son, was also a little put out. Sure, Joseph was his favorite son, but it was a bit presumptuous to trumpet that fact so boldly, and more than a bit presumptuous, to claim that his own father, the patriarch Israel, should bow down to him. We have just read the story of the tragic result 
of the hurt, the anger, the resentment, and the jealousy that infected this dysfunctional family, which in one of the Bible's greatest ironies is made to represent the national family of Israel. And for our purposes this morning, let's acknowledge that this broken family also represents the church, any and every church, even our own church. To view this story from the underside, we must be courageous enough to name the pain, the sin, and the brokenness in it. We can seek to understand it, as Bonhoeffer says, from the perspective of the outcast, the maltreated, and the reviled. We begin with the experience of Joseph coming into this family system, bearing spiritual gifts given to him by God, gifts that he never asked to receive, but gifts that the world would need in ways that none of them could foresee. But Joseph was not just a functional character in God's story. He must have been deeply hurt by his alienation from the family, for he was also a very human person. And it wasn't just that his brothers refused to accept him or embrace him, They despised him. They resented him. They rejected him. And we have to think that the bitterness and jealousy were there even before Joseph was born. This fight, whatever it was, had started long before Joseph ever arrived on the scene. But somehow Joseph became the scapegoat the one easiest to blame for everything that was wrong in the family. As the story says, they saw him coming from off. And before he even came near to them, they conspired to kill him. Have you ever felt like that? I also wonder whether Joseph blamed himself. All the criticism and anger had to make him question himself or perhaps wonder if these gifts were really all they were cracked up to be. His gifts as a dreamer just seemed to get him into trouble and make things more difficult for himself. He had to know that he was not perfect. Now, the story of his life proves that he was no narcissist. So he had to know that he had faults, that he could be brash, that he spoke first and thought later, if at all, that he often made life more difficult for himself simply by being himself. And perhaps Joseph, as the family outcast, tended to blame himself for the things that were happening to him. I expect that thought crossed his mind in the darkness of that hole in the desert, the symbolic place of his family's rejection and hatred that looked like it was about to be his tomb. 
And as if his punishment by his brothers was not enough, I expect Joseph was punishing himself too. Have you ever felt like that? But Joseph was not the only victim in this story, not the only one who was oppressed, rejected, and hurt by life. His brothers knew that pain too. Genesis tells the story. They were children of four different mothers, two wives of Jacob and two concubines of Jacob. So some were more legitimate than others. But even Leah and Rachel's children had some competition. Leah was the first wife, but Rachel was the pretty one and the favored one. We all have families. We know how this had to work. Every one of those brothers needed to know that they too were loved. They wanted to know that they too were special in certain ways, and it doesn't seem like they got any of that. From a self-esteem standpoint, this family was a hot mess. And we can imagine how the shady family history bubbled up from time to time, the way the family fortune was built on Jacob's trickery and deception of his own family, his own father, his own brother, his own uncle. More recently, their sister Dinah had been abducted and raped by the prince of Shechem. As a group, these brothers negotiate a lame truce while two of them hatch a murderous revenge plot. In short, this family had been through some stuff. And yet I expect the last thing that any of them wanted to do was to talk about it. If anybody dared bring up the dirty laundry, my guess is that someone always said something like this, let's not dwell in the past. Let's not go there again. We just need to forget all that and focus on the future. And I will tell you what you already know, that never works. I expect those brothers felt caught up in a system that they could not seem to escape. They all felt shame, they all felt guilt, and they all knew deep down that they were part of the problem, but they just didn't know what to do about it. Have you ever felt like that? Because all of this anger and frustration All of this pain and hurt had never really been engaged and healed. It built up like a storm cloud over them. And it grew darker and darker until enough atmospheric energy built up that it had to explode out to somewhere or upon somebody. And that brings us back to Joseph. Because all that we have said so far only begins to describe what I expect was the worst moment for Joseph in his entire story, which occupies nearly a third of the book of Genesis. As he was being betrayed by the people who should have protected him, as he was being hated by the ones who should have loved him, not 
one of them spoke up or rose up in Joseph's defense. They all seemed to agree that even though they would not slaughter him in cold blood, that they would place him in a situation where he would almost certainly die, leaving him without food or water in a pit in a hot desert. Now, not to get too legal about it, but it was an open and shut case of criminal reckless endangerment, a plot that clearly demonstrated a depraved indifference to their brother's life and also included a fabricated cover-up designed to throw their father off the scent. I have to think that as a few of his brothers laid their hands upon him and started dragging him over to that hole in the earth, Joseph must have scanned the faces of the others and wondered, will no one stand up and say that this is wrong? Will all of you just sit silently by while I am carted away like a lamb to the slaughter? It was the same heartbreak of the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus realized that his closest allies and friends could not even bother to stay awake with him during his most painful and tragic hour. The heartbreak of this silent complicity must have been the crowning blow. It is possible that the loneliness, betrayal, and abandonment Joseph felt as he gazed into the pitiless eyes of his brothers was greater than anything he felt in the heat and the darkness of that desert pit. Have you ever felt like that. This is the Joseph story from the underside. And his story cannot be fully felt or understood until we allow ourselves to feel it and understand it from the depths of the pit. Fortunately for Joseph, fortunately for his family, and fortunately for us, God is already at work to redeem this seemingly hopeless situation. The story of the dreamer does not end in the pit. And from here on out, a new perspective will rise and grow and take control. But Joseph's story, like our own, is like a plant that sprouts in the soil of the outcast, the maltreated, the powerless, the oppressed, the reviled, in short, from the perspective of those who suffer. Thanks be to the God who hears our cries from the pit and does not leave us orphaned. Amen.